everybody's going to leave sometime. We all left mm-hmm. the military. We're going to leave the job. Let's make leaving a positive experience, turn it from a negative to a positive. And I think long term, you'll benefit even more. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Cassandra Rose. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Rose, and I am super excited to have Lee Kirby joining me today. Thank you, Lee, so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you are the chairman and co-founder of Salute Mission Critical. So tell our audience a little bit about yourself and even more about your organization. And so my life kind of ties into it. So I'll go way back, but I joined the military in 76 and I'd grown up a rural farmer in East Tennessee, a kind of idyllic lifestyle and went to the military to get my college. So I enlisted and did my four years active, got out into the reserves and ended up getting my commission in 82 and stayed in just in case I was needed. Turned up, I got deployed to Haiti in the mid nineties. And then after 9-11, did six more years of active duty between Iraq and Afghanistan. And Got 36 years altogether, retired as a colonel, and what that gave me was a view into the active duty environment as well as the guard and reserve and what they were going through as people go on and off of active duty and the trials and tribulations with the workforce. At the time we started Salute, we began planning it in 2012. The average unemployment for a first-term soldier was over 25%, and they were marked unskilled. So we wanted to fix that because there, in my opinion, no such thing as an unskilled soldier, a sailor, airman, or Marine. So we built the company with training protocols to be able to take anybody, whether you've got a technical background or you're infantry or a truck driver or a cook, teach you how to become a data center technician and built the company on that premise that with this training background and with our contacts, because of my reserve duty, I've been in this industry for about 35 years. So I had good personal contacts to leverage. We just needed to come up with a better product. And I think we did our service model beats the competition and the clients are ecstatic and we don't lose clients because they like the quality of work, but they also like the second order social benefits of working with us as well. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, you went through a lifetime of work (laughs) in about two minutes. So I just wanted to focus on a few things that you just shared with me, one of which being that you spent 36 years in the military, on and off in reserve and active duty, but you've seen a lot of the world. Your intention was at first just to get your college education, but clearly you fell in love with being part of the armed forces. So what about being in the military excited you that you were able to fulfill a career that most people would dream of? I always felt the kinship to being part of something bigger than myself and serving the country and doing what's needed to keep our country the way it is so that we can maintain a free society. It was an honor to me at 
it's kind of funny when people come up and say, thank you for your service. I feel like thanking them for letting me serve because it was an honor. I was a volunteer and our force is a volunteer force. So everybody that's serving has chosen to. And it always amazed me when I was in Iraq and meet young people that were coming because they enlisted knowing that they were going to go into harm's way. So that's kind of the nature and the strength of that community and wanted to continue to give back when I was retiring in 2012. And this is how I was able to do that. Yeah. So let's talk about that retirement, right? Because most people go into the workforce thinking, I'm going to put my time in. There's even this movement called FIRE, which tries to retire early. So you put in the work, you put in the time. You could have gone off and been on a board or been at the beach, but you decided to create an entirely new organization from scratch to support this community that you have such a fealty to. What was your inspiration outside of just your own personal experience thinking, how can I better serve this community? Well, I've always had a penchant for being a servant leader, and I wanted to give back because I'd had so many great experiences in the military with the men and women of the military and what they did to help me and support me and grow me. Because all along the way, you're taking professional development training, you've got mentors that are growing you, and the system is perfect for someone that is intellectual sponge and just wants to learn and grow. And that's why I thought that our industry would be great for veterans because it's always changing and growing. And that ability to learn and adapt quickly is inherent in all veterans because you go to basic AIT and in 12 weeks, you're an entirely different person. You've been molded into soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine, and you're ready to start your military career and continuous learning. That continuous learning is a key product of our industry. And I think veterans fit into our industry perfectly because of all the skills that they gain and the training, the leadership, the work ethic, the problem solving that you learn in the military is top notch. And they don't teach that in civilian schools and how you look at a problem and get the alternative courses of action together and choose the one that's best and learn from that decision and choose the next one as you move on down the road. Yeah. So going into the tech industry was an interesting way for you to pivot, right? Because one, it's not necessarily people think military and tech simultaneously. And two, you're talking about 2012. So this is post the Great Recession. A lot of companies are starting to come back. How did you choose your partner, Jason, to be your co-founder? And that's a kind of fun personal story. Jason and I were working for the same client in Chicago, but with two different service companies. I was with Lee Technologies. He's with, forget what the name of the company was, but they did power and engineering and IT stuff. So between our two backgrounds, we got to know each other and liked each other personally, found out we had shared values and very family oriented and became friends. And he saw the trials that I went through as I would deploy for a year and come back and try to get restarted and everything and was trying to think of what we could do because I told him I wanted to continue to serve. And we sat down and started mapping out on a napkin. If we were going to do this, what would we need? And here's the training programs of what we need and how to build it, how to fund it, how to get it going. And we bootstrapped it with very little funding and $25,000 in a checking account to start out. And then kind of leapfrogged it with projects as we got paid and pay people on time. And it's a good effort to build character because you get a little bit of stomach lining checks. Stomach lining checks. I'm going to use that. (laughs) That is a fantastic way to phrase it. I mean, bootstrapping is amazing. I know there's a lot of companies that get tons of funding, even if it's the family and friends round at first. So like you said, just being able to complete projects in enough time to meet pre-roll, that adds in a whole nother layer. But you and Jason were able to go from employee one 
and employee two to 10 years later, employee 800 plus. Tell me about the time where you went from employee two to 10 to 20, because those are sometimes the hardest few to get, right? Because it's you and Jason saying, we're committed to each other. Now we have to cast a vision where other people trust us enough to come in this early. So we had our training program set up and we had a queue of veterans that were unemployed and wanted jobs. We just needed to land a project. So we started meeting with our personal contacts and saying, here's the concept. We guarantee this will work. We stand behind it personally. And we had a good run in the industry and people trusted us. And that helped out quite a bit. Got in and did the first project. We had 12 people on site. And while they were on site, got out to sell the second project so that they could move from project to project. And as you gain that bandwidth, then we started getting more employees. Then we could get out a little further in front of it. And we moved the company from just purely project-based work to more service contracts that were recurring. And that helped stabilize the workforce so that they're not having to move all around. And that's been a real key to our success is people trust us to be on their data center side 24 by 7 to do the hands-on functions that they need done, whether it's access control through the security desk or rounds and reads to make sure power and cooling are working or move at change activity to move servers around. They trust us with that. And it's very important to the clients to know that they've got reliability at the human layer because if you cause an outage, it has quite a bit of an impact as you've seen in the papers. Oh, for sure. Do you ever run into an issue where you're recruiting and people are like, I don't know if I want to do this data center thing. I was a cook or I was a driver in the military. I don't know if this is my path. And you've been able to not just to convince them, but they've gone on to be super successful through this career. Absolutely. Some of our best employees have been infantry and cooks and people do not understand what goes on behind the scenes. You think about infantry and you think about move, shoot and communicate. But an infantry person will maintain their vehicle, complex communication systems and weapon systems. That's what a data center technician does. It's just with different equipment. And so whether you're infantry or doing data centers in the military, you can adapt into this industry. And cooks are a great example. They're doing all of that. Plus, they've been some of our best project managers. And one of the best project managers Mm. was a cook. Because if you think about feeding two, 300 people in all kinds of different conditions, three times a day, the planning that has to go into that, the logistics and the execution and the safety to make sure you don't poison a whole bunch of people too. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I can only imagine. I have to cook just for my family. And some days I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this. So I can only imagine that level of coordination. So something I think that's... I was just going to say, we've had quite a bit of effort put into trying to educate the military system as well as the industry, because people initially, they'll say, what's your MOS? They'll go to an MOS translator and they'll send the cooks to food service and they'll send the infantry to security. And they don't realize all of the wealth of skills that they've built up doing those specialties because it's the supporting tasks that make them here and the soft skills they've learned with leadership and driving troops. All of that is key to being successful in this industry. Yeah. So one thing that I love that you keep driving the point back to is that these are people who have transferable skills. They came into an organization, the military, they were teachable because they had to be, that's literally what it's there for. And they absorb skills that can be applied in so many different ways. And I know that's some of what led you to organize the company, but also into your values. I love this spirit that you talk about speed, purpose, innovative, reliable, inclusive trust. How did you come up with those values? That was a collaborative effort with everybody in the company, sharing 
with each other, going through working sessions, saying what's important to us, how do we want to be known, what do we want to embrace, and as a whole, everybody embraces that because once you do, culturally, we become a force to be reckoned with in the industry because all of those values become great value add to our customers because they see the speed, they see the transparency and accountability that goes with our cultural values, and it really outpaces the competition because we've embraced it. And when we hire somebody, the first thing they do is go through the cultural training, why salute, why these values, why it's important, and they go through safety training. Then after that, we'll send them to the technical training. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. And your organization doesn't just focus on active members, but also members of the community. Is that right? Spouses, family Correct. members? We do. We look at the entire military community as a resource pool, because if you've got 200,000 active duty coming off every year, 80% of those are married. You've got military spouses coming off. And the hidden jewels in that community and so often overlooked and undervalued are military spouses. They have to reinvent themselves every time their spouse moves. Then mm. some people that are lawyers have to get rebarred in every state they move to. They may have resumes that look like a job hopper, not no stability. So we're working hard to try to get remote jobs for military spouses so that they can have a career as their spouse moves around. And then when they do finally settle after retirement, they can continue that career. I love this. And it goes one into your values and some of the conversation of the day when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because inclusive is one of your core values. And you describe it as our success is limitless when we build a culture that attracts talented individuals from all walks of life, which the military absolutely does. And so when we think about organizations who are like, we want to be more inclusive, we want to take more people in, to your point, a lot of times, either those who've been in the military or their spouses are barred from of those traditional positions because they didn't grow up in that role, or they've had three or four jobs because they've had to move four or five times over a certain period of time. So how do you feel that the veteran and military community can actually dovetail into a lot of what companies are trying to do by being more inclusive with their hiring and retaining of employees? Once you, as a hiring employee, uh, realize that there is a return on investment for veterans on so many levels. There's a commercial return on investment because they're going to learn quicker, absorb, and stay with you. But all of the other factors, too, that add to a stronger workforce is the diversity that comes from the veteran workforce. I'm the only former officer in the company. We hire from the enlisted ranks because we're hands-on services. And with that, it, it drives diversity just naturally. And I would never want to try to solve a problem sitting around a table with six other Lee Kirby's. I need a diverse background, different perspectives, different experiences that people can bring to the table and help us solve complex problems. And that's why I think diversity is so important for companies. And you see those who embrace it outpace the competition. There's Harvard Business Review studies on that prove that there is an ROI on diversity and there's an ROI on veterans. So why not bring them together and benefit from that? No, absolutely. So what would be the advice using your organization, Salute Mission Critical, as the stepping stone and example? What would be the advice that you would give to employers who are like, we'd love to hire from the military community. We just don't know how. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to touch. We don't know how to make sure they're acclimated to our organization once they land here. What do you do internally to help those things progress? It can be overwhelming to someone that hasn't done it before because there's so many points that you feel like you need to touch and you do, but you can get into a tempo, but you don't even need to do the outreach until you have put in place what I consider a workforce development strategy. 
You have training and transition programs that can take someone from outside the industry and get them into your workforce. But this workforce development strategy should encompass the entire life of an employee, whether they're a veteran or not, and keep up with continuous skill improvements and new technology and all of that. So first thing we did was build our training program so that we could transition people in. And once they've got that, then one, I'm happy to talk to anybody about how to do this, but there's key points to tap into. There's great programs in the Army called the PAYS system, which gives you access to a database of active duty, National Guard, and reservists. And you can look for the skill sets you're looking for. The other services will be catching up with that, but all of them have transition assistance programs and education centers. And depending on where you're hiring, you can tap into those and attend those job fairs. And we're at a Joint Base lewis McCord job fair a while back and had 30 candidates come out of that. And I know Microsoft and AWS had piles of candidates too, because they're looking to start their career after they get out and they come there prepared with their resumes. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I'm pretty sure you'll say yes to this, but do you feel that more companies, more organizations need to include veterans when they're thinking about their DEI strategy, who they want to recruit into the workplace? Absolutely. And nice thing is we're seeing it happen, not as fast as I would like, but we're seeing a lot more companies adopt a strategy that drives diversity and includes veterans in that to help with that because they get double benefit, I believe, with going after the veteran workforce. Yeah. A hundred percent. So now that you're nearly 10 years old, right, (laughs) which is super exciting for you, I'm sure, a lot of startups are envious and are using you as the goal of where they want to be, starting from zero employees and 25 grand to 800 plus employees and whatever your annual revenues are, you don't have to disclose. What is something that you know solidly now that you wish you could have told yourself when you were employee number one? When I was employee number one, we always focused on get the training program in place and then let's worry about sales and cash flow. And that served us well because as an entrepreneur, you're going to die on the vine. If you can't keep sales going, you can't keep the cash flowing to be able to pay the employees. If I'd known then, if I was smarter then, I wouldn't have tried to go down the nonprofit route because I thought that what we were doing was a service and should be a nonprofit, but we have to compete for business. So that makes that not qualified. So we wasted about eight, nine months trying to go that route and then went for the profit with a purpose route and started the company and started competing for business. Because the one thing that we are different from other people is if you're with us for two, three, four, five years, much like the military, and one of our clients who you're assigned to wants to hire you, We see that as a win because we have the service contract. We're going to backfill you. We're going to celebrate and transition you over into a client. We're going to have somebody that was part of our family be part of the client family and have that connective tissue going forward. And I think that kind of approach, we didn't know that early on, but we figured it out about year two or three and adopted that as part of our key strategy made a big difference because it takes the tension out of the model because everybody's going to leave sometime. We all left Mm -hmm. the military. We're going to leave the job. Let's make leaving a positive experience, turn it from a negative to a positive. And I think long-term you'll benefit even more. I hope everyone takes away that key point (laughs) from the conversation that when someone leaves, it should be something celebrated because not only did they take the time to contribute to your organization, but I love what you said. It's actually a success because that means that the client was so well-regarded the level of work that you put in, what you've invested in that person that they wanted them to permanently come on. So kudos to you and really 
turning around that concept of an exiting employee is a bad employee. If anything, they are someone to be celebrated. And like you said, it helps to bring in growth into your organization and you still have the contracts. <laughs> so that's a super positive. So 10 years, 800 employees, what are you doing to celebrate this amazing milestone? We're going to get the leadership team together in February and have a little celebration. We've made some military coins that are really nifty with the 10-year and with our spirit acronyms on there. So we're giving that to everybody in the company. And we've got three employees that were with us in that first year that we're going to be recognizing and doing something oh, wow. special for them. Uh, so it's kind of fun when you have, we know that people are going to leave us, but we know some are going to stay with us forever. And it gets that family feel and you become very personally attached. No, I am sure. So Lee, this is a great conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but as we wind down the conversation, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? You've already done amazing work with the military and now you have this organization and we already talked about, there are some learnings that you wish you knew before because it was a little bit of a time suck, but that's past. What five, 10, a hundred years from now, what do you want people to talk about when they talk about you in relation to Salute Mission Critical? I'd love there to be a legacy of a company that did it for more than just profit. We have to profit to be able to fuel our engine and to bring on new hires and train them. But for people to think in terms of the profit with a purpose definition out there and realize that as a company, you can do well, you can have commercial success, you can have moral and social success. And if they see that as the model here and they start doing that in their companies, we'll be able to address things like climate change and inequities in the system and all kinds of stuff will change if people embrace that at the kind of company level because it drives change. It drives change. I'm actually taking notes here. You said profit with a purpose and you said do well by doing good. Yes. And if there's one thing I hope everybody gets ingrained in their mind because it's my pet peeve is I would like in five years to never hear anyone ever again say unskilled veteran. There's no such thing as an unskilled veteran or military spouse. What people have gone through in this community gives them all kinds of skills that most people can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll make sure that message gets out. That unskilled is a mutually exclusive term <laughs> from the community. Well, I just want to say, A, just on behalf of Fringe, this conversation has been illuminating for me. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. You're literally living out the do well by doing good. And it could have been easy for you to go do something else. But that fact that you came back, invested, and you grew a super successful company with a culture that celebrates when people go on to other things is an amazing thing. So kudos to you. If people want to learn more about you, Lee, about your story, about the organization, how can they get in contact with you? They can learn about me and get in contact on LinkedIn is probably the easiest. I'm out there under Lee Kirby and pretty easy to find. They can go to our website, which is all one word, salutemissioncritical.com. And they'll see a lot of the blog posts and stories we posted about people's journey from the military to our industry. They'll see my background and LinkedIn contact and welcome any questions. And if there's anything we can ever do to share best practices with people wanting to look at setting up their veterans programs, I'm always available to have that discussion. Amazing. Well, I'll definitely be one of those people reaching out to you. Thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate all your time. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes.
This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.